0: Today's reading comes from Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 10. And it says this, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then shall you return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we have obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for the worship this morning and for those who, with their voices and with their instruments brought us into that place of presence, into that place, Lord Jesus, where as we lifted your name on high, we met with you. And we also thank you, Lord, that that meeting has not ceased simply because the music has gone away. That you, Jesus, are here in our midst. That you, O Holy Spirit, have surrounded us and lay upon us. And so we ask, Lord, that as we now dive into your word, would it be more than just words on a page, Jesus? Would it be the window from which we see you? And would we meet with you? And having met with you, would we be changed? Would we be glorified? Would we be healed? Would we be strengthened? Will we find that all that we need for today is found in your presence and more. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we are so grateful that you love us. And to your matchless name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. So the final, for the final time, good morning. good morning. For those of you who are new, whether in person or online, we want to welcome you to All Souls Community Church. For those of you who are regular attenders, welcome back. And for those of you who are members, welcome home. We are glad you are here. Last week, we started our sermon series for the next calendar year. And it's this idea of going through the book of Joshua, learning to fight for our inheritance. And Pastor Will talked with us last week about to start, we must be strong and courageous because God's inheritance is guaranteed. If someone writes up a will, and on their passing, that will is executed, sometimes they put stipulations on that. You need to go through A, B, and C before you get what is actually already yours. Now, it doesn't change the fact that it's yours. It simply changes the fact of how and when you get it. And God has made clear to his people, and we will see that continually as we go through the book of Joshua. All that I have promised you is already yours. It's already yours. Will you just look at the things that stand between you and I give them over to me and trust that I can handle that. I am taking that. I'm calling you to lay that down and watch that as we do that, we receive our inheritance. Not just when we see the pearly gates as people like to say, but now on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But this week we're going to look at this, hearing the call to fight for each other. This idea of our inheritance is our inheritance. If there's 200 people in this room and online, it's not 200 individual inheritances that God had somehow orchestrated and is going to make fit like a jigsaw puzzle. It is our inheritance. And so we have a stake in fighting for it, not only so that we, and yes, maybe our biological family can receive it, but for our larger spiritual family that God has adopted us into it matters that we fight for each other, and we see that play out in today's text. So, here we go. Joshua's first act as a leader of God's people is to tell them two simple words. Wake up. It's time to get moving. We have been talking about this idea of going to the promised land for a very long time now. Remember, this is a generation that survived. The older generation, the one who the promise went to first has now passed. So these people have literally been hearing about this since they were kids. And now Joshua says, the time is now. Gather the provisions, let's make camp. In three days, our feet are going to stand on the soil that God has promised us. Could you imagine hearing and thinking about a day and longing for it, and longing for it, and longing for it, and longing for it it so much, it probably just became this dull idea in the back of your mind. Yeah, it's going to happen one day, but I probably won't see it. Joshua says, no, 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 wake up. That day is now. That day is now. And so Joshua is going to prepare the people that God has placed in his care to lead them, as he has been called, right, into said promised land. And he wants them to realize something. We said it last week. I said it two minutes ago. And we're going to say it again as we go through this sermon and this series. It was time to receive what God promised was already going to be theirs. They did nothing for it. They did not earn it. They haven't fought any battles yet in the promised land, for the promised land. It is not based off of their own merit. God has already told them from the beginning, go. This is yours. Will you simply possess what I am calling to give you? That matters that we understand that. It really does because so often what we're going to see that we are tempted to do is to give into things like fear, anxiety, and control, anger, fill in the blank with whatever you have. And that is going to tempt us to believe that I need to make this happen. I need to be the one who orchestrates me receiving my inheritance. But friends, that makes no sense. You'd only get an inheritance when somebody else decrees it in their will and they die. It actually has nothing to do with you orchestrating it. Nothing that has everything to do with the one who has prepared it for you and simply says, here you go. Will you take it? Will you take this gift that I am giving you? And that is what we're going to see happen today. But then there's this interesting little history lesson that happens right smack dab in the middle of our text for this morning. Joshua is telling God's people, okay, let's get together, let's get on the move. And by the way, Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, I have to remind you of something. You're like, who are these people? <laughs> Where, why are we talking to two and a half tribes out of the 12 tribes of Israel? That's, why? Why are we talking about that? This is why we're talking about this. On the way to the Promised Land, when they were still in the wilderness, but they were making their way out of said wilderness, God took them. I know this is kind of a small map, so bear with me. Right here is the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River. The very thing they're going to cross. It's right here. Jericho's on this map. God brought them through here when Moses was still the leader. This light pink and this purple belong to two kings we talked about last week. Sihon and Og. Giant kings. And God led them through victory over these people before they got into the promised land. This territory wasn't actually supposed to be theirs at first. Moses, if you go back and read Deuteronomy, wants God's people to pass through peacefully. He tells these kings, let us go through. We don't want your water. We don't want your provisions. We just want to go to where our God is calling us to. And they say, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going to work. And so they go to war. And because they have Yahweh, Yahweh says, you're not going to run amok with my people. This is not how this is going to work. And so he leads them to victory. So when this purple area and this pink area no longer has inhabitants, two and a half Out of the 12 tribes, right, they were organized by family, large families. Two and a half out of these 12 tribes decide, hey, this territory over here is really good. It's really good. We want it. Specifically, they want it because it has a lot of fields and plains for their livestock to graze on. And it says in the book of Numbers 32, which we'll get to in a second, that that's why we want to stay there. There's a lot of livestock here. But friends, this is not the promised land. This is not what God had set aside for them. This is, the green, the left side. If you caught in our passage where Joshua was reminding me of the and he says the land of the sunrise because the land rises in the east, sets in the west. This was not part of the promised land. And so they ask Moses in Numbers 32, can we have this land, a land for our livestock because your servants have livestock? And Moses immediately like, the, back, the hairs on the back of his neck tingle. He does not like this idea. Do you want to know why he does not like this idea? Because it reeks of a self-interested agenda. It reeks of a group of people saying, oh, we've done enough. This is good for us. The other nine and a half of you, good luck. We're staying here. And Moses is like, whoa, that's not how this is going to go down. No, 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 no. Because if you do that, Numbers 32 tells us, you're going to discourage the heart of the people of Israel. Think about this. God has promised all 12 tribes this land is going to be yours. And now a part of that decided, now we'll get over here. This is good. It's got the things we need. It's got the agriculture we need, all that stuff. This is good. The rest of you, you cross over. The promise is now for you. You figure it out. It'll be fine and dandy, I'm sure. You know, let us know how it goes. You know what that's going to do to a group of people who are already afraid? It's going to kill them. It's going to take them apart from the inside out. It is literally going to take courage from them, which is what discourage means. And Moses knows God's people cannot afford that. This is not honoring of God. This is not honoring of each other. And so Moses brings that up. But God's already on the move. God's already on the move. Remember, our main point today is hearing the call to fight for each other. And it is the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that bring up this idea. And they say this, we promise to go to war alongside our brothers. We're going to build our cities. We're going to build our pens for our livestock. And we will leave our women, our children, and our livestock behind. And we will arm all of our appropriate aged fighting men. And they will cross over that border. And they will fight with you until you have taken the land that is supposed to be yours. Now think about it. This is what they're saying. We're going to leave all the defenseless people here. And we're going to go here, and here, and here, and here, however long it takes. And we're going to fight until you possess it. And then we'll go back. That's what they're saying. You can't just casually say that. You can't. That's not a a promise you throw out there and you're like, oh, you know, it'll, you know, yeah, maybe they'll forget or maybe I want to stay and fight as long as, you know, they may maybe think I'm saying I will. No, 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 that's something that is serious. That's something that these tribes realized if they were going to get the inheritance that they wanted, they needed to make sure that the people God was calling to, to receive an inheritance, was going to receive that inheritance. It mattered. It mattered that they fought. And in our passage today, it highlights that when Joshua reminds them of this oath that they made with Moses, he reminds them, you promised you were going first. It's back in verse 14. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers. Not after, not with before your brothers, and shall help them. This is a serious oath. And by God's grace, those two and a half tribes heed the call and the promise that their ancestors had made. They are going to fight for each other, come heaven or high hell, come water, storm, raging giant kings or whatnot, they are going to fight for each other. And that's a beautiful thing, friends. Because you see, a potential division was looming that would have been disastrous. All you have to do is wait one more chapter. We're finishing Joshua 1. In Joshua 2, fear shows up again. That's it. It happens that fast when they don't have their watchful eye on it. It happens that fast when they're not continually giving it over to God and trusting him. All you have to do is wait one chapter and fear shows its ugly head again. But in this chapter, it was showing its head. And God's people heard back then before their time, back then, during their time, and God's people need to hear that call today as well. That we are called to fight for each other, to lay down our lives for each other, to go radically and supernaturally beyond what we think makes sense for each other. Why? It's my favorite question to ask, why? Don't tell me a thing just so I know a thing, tell me why that thing is good. Why? Well, here's the why. Because God is showing us in this passage, this spiritual principle, that our faiths are connected, whether we like it or not. I hope you like it. That's why we're at a church together. But on the days that you don't, our faith is still connected. More than just sometimes I rub shoulders with you, or I ask you how your day is doing. More than just offering you a text and saying I'll pray for you. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying those things are shallow. I'm saying it's more than that. It is more than that because, friends, and you guys can surprise when I say this because you hear me say this a billion times. Your life and your faith is not a solo adventure. It never will be. It's a group project. That's what this patch just shows us. It's a group project. Your life and your faith, the person you are, the person you are becoming is not a solo adventure. It never has and it never will be. It has always been a group project. Always, always, and that's a good thing, friends. It is, because you know what? It is dependent upon me to come alongside you and to fight for you and to fight with you, not against you, but on your behalf, and vice versa. God has so woven that this is how this works in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm, that we are meant to fight for each other because our faith affects one another. What you choose to give into will not just affect you, it will affect all of those around you. Because your life is a group project. That is what those two and a half tribes knew. I'm using our 21st century language, but that's what they knew. That this fight for an inheritance could not be done alone. And lest you miss this point, I put it in 215 font. It is a group project, I promise you. It is. And we actually know that to be true, even outside this passage. you know why? This spiritual principle played out right in our text that we read 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, however long it was at this point, between Joshua and his people, but also Joshua and God. If you go back to Joshua 1, the very beginning of this chapter that we talked about last week, It says this, starting in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, and through Joshua to his people, Moses, my servant, is dead. But now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan and all this people into the land that I am giving you, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I have promised to Moses. You skip down to verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises Joshua, I'm not leaving you. Everything that your life is amounting to is on the two of us. And if you know anything about your Bible, it's really just on God. It really is. But then we see that same principle again play out at the end of the passage we read this morning. When those two and a half tribes respond to Joshua, Joshua reminds them of that oath. Hey, you promised to do this. Be people of your word. And they said, we will. We will. This is important. This matters. We're not backing down. We're not giving up. We're not running away. This matters. They say this. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you. They know too. This is a group project. Friends, even us coming to faith, whether you have been following Jesus for a long time, or it's something you're still dancing around with, or something that is abhorrent to you, even all of that didn't happen by accident. Even all of that was not something that you decided upon yourself. Even all of that is testimony and is a picture woven throughout your life of the goodness of our Jesus pursuing you, fighting for you, fighting on your behalf. Constantly, it's in, the, it's in the, the corners of our memories when sometimes we don't realize it. It's in the subtle moments when we think God's not there and he's been there the whole time even before we cried out to him. Our testimonies, our very lives paint this picture that God has been moving in and through and around and for us because he realizes we cannot do it alone. That's just the gospel. But the gospel doesn't stop being the gospel once you get saved. You still need Jesus, and Jesus knows that. And that's why he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. We fight together or we fall together. We fight together or we fall together, which is why hearing the call to do so is of the utmost importance. Here's the but. But we don't like that. We don't. I'm a big fan of calling out the elephant in the room. We don't like that. For those of you who have been through school, public, private or otherwise, whether it was you graduated last year or you graduated 50 years ago, the idea of a group project probably does not bring back happy memories. (laughs) A group project is the single-handedly worst assignment you can ever be handed by a teacher. Unless you end up getting a group with your friends, then that can be pretty sweet. But if you don't get a group with your friends, it's the single-handed worst assignment you could ever be given, you know why? Because now your good grade is dependent upon those slackers, right? Your good grade, making sure it all comes together, making sure you actually pass, whether you're shooting for a C minus or an A plus, You are now dependent upon, because of the assignment, on these people getting their act together and treating this as seriously as you do. We don't like that. And it's okay that we don't like that. It's okay that we don't like being put in situations where we have to depend on other people. But friends, just because you do not like it doesn't mean that it's bad. I don't like eating my vegetables. Doesn't mean it's bad. Sometimes I don't like getting my immunizations. It doesn't mean it's bad. Mostly because I don't like needles in my arms. We learn very early on not to depend on people because they can and they will fail you, which is why we hate group projects or anything that even smacks like that. We don't like having to rely on other people. Part of that though is because whether it's we've been burned before or we're insecure, which those things happen and that's okay. Part of that is also because we believe life will go well when it all revolves around me. We are constantly fed a lie that your life will make sense, will be better, will go the way you envision in your head when it's just you and your pillow, when it all revolves around you. We are constantly fed the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. As if somehow all of you simply exist for me. It's intoxicating when you buy into it. It feels liberating. It feels powerful. And it is the heaviest trap you can give into. It is the deepest level of arrogance you can give into. It literally brings poison to your soul. But this is why we don't like it. But friends, how do we begin to fight for each other in the face of things like this? There we go. How do we begin to fight for each other in the face of this? You think Joshua liked bringing up that oath? Do you think Joshua liked reminding them, hey, you made a promise, you got to stick to it. Joshua is but one man. How could he single-handedly stop two and a half tribes from just going, nope, peace out, and just... Was he going to call the other nine and a half tribes? Okay, to war. Who are we fighting? Our cousins. Whoa, hold on. Right? Like, that's that's not going to work. We know that's not going to work because that's called the book of 1 Kings. (laughs) And 2 Kings, when they split, that doesn't go well. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) That's not going to work. Do you think Joshua wants to confront a bunch of people and hope to God that they aren't being selfish? That they're just not going to back out? Joshua doesn't want to do that. But Joshua does, because even Joshua knows. We do this together. We fight for each other, or we will fall. I can pursue Jesus all the day long. I can wake up every morning, every, and take a break every afternoon, stay up late into the night, fasting, praying, singing worship, reading my Bible, memorizing, praying for other people, all of that jazz. And if I do it just for me, I am no different than the person who does it at all. Simply because... It is all about me. It is not about us. If we are not going to fight for each other, we are going to fall. We are going to fall. So how do we do that? How do we fight for each other so that we may all receive the inheritance that already awaits us? It's not earning it. It's just simply claiming it. I'm going to go through some practical examples for you before we get to the spiritual principle that underlies these examples, but also all, everything that we have talked about today. The prayer teams after service. Every Sunday morning, whoever gets up here to pray or preach reminds everybody in this room, and reminds hopefully when we remember the people online, hey, if you think you need prayer, we're gonna have people in the Welcome Center, we're gonna have people off to the sides that are going to want to pray for you. And here's what happens. A lot of times people come up for prayer, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have lunch plans. Sometimes they have to make, rush, out the, excuse me, rush out the door to go somewhere. That's okay. Sometimes we sit in our seats and we know that God's calling us to prayer, and we just go, nope, not doing it. Sometimes we so desperately want someone to meet us in our pain, and God says, there are two lovely people right there who will do nothing but meet you in your pain and lead you to me. And we just go, I, I can't. I can't. I'm either afraid or I'm anxious. What are they going to think of me? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to tell other people? I don't even know what to say. How do I share? I don't know. Sometimes it's our stubborn pride. I went through a mean streak, unfortunately, in my early 20s where I would go to church service, have the church service, and I would never stand up for prayer. Never. Because to me, my stubborn, my stubborn pride told me it was a sign of weakness. You don't need other people to pray for you. Just pray for yourself. We got it. We got it. And God was like, ah. you'll learn. Friends, for whatever the reason may be, good, bad, ugly, or otherwise, that keeps you sometimes sitting in those seats or rushing out that door, hear the call now from your father. Not me, but him. Those people are not meeting to pray with you simply because they have nothing else better to do. Those people have heard that call from Jesus himself to say, these moments matter. These moments matter. And we need to be there for each other. But then, what about disciple groups during the week? We talked about it during our announcements. We've been talking about it quite often here from the stage. We talk about it so often because we realize the danger of what a life following Jesus only happening on a Sunday morning looks like. It doesn't mean your heart is insincere, it doesn't mean that you're just faking it till you're making it. But if this is the only time you meet with God and His people, you're going to have a really shallow faith. It's not going to stand the wind and the waves. When fear rears its ugly head again, and I promise you that it will, you're going to feel alone. And that's partially because in that moment, you believe you're alone. Even though God has said consistently, just through this first chapter of Joshua, be strong and courageous, I am with you. It's why we stress this so much, not because we have a quota to fill. We really don't not because we think we are going to be successful if we get all the people we can into all of our programs. That's not how success, success works in the kingdom of God. We believe this to be good and true and that's where God is calling us to because we've seen the power of it play out in people's lives. But friends, and this is one I talk about a lot, investing in the generations younger than you, both literally and spiritually, both literally and spiritually. I said it in the video before, and I'll say it again. Our teenagers and our preteens and our young children are the church now, they're not the church upcoming. But if we want to have a church upcoming, we need to invest in them now. We need to invest in them now. It cannot be just something that we throw money at, although that helps sometimes, sure. It cannot just be something that we decide, oh, I'm gonna pray for you from afar. That's good, and I'm telling you as someone who works with teenagers, that's not enough. They need you to show up. They need you to show up. But what's the principle that underlies all of this, right? What is the principle that underlies all of this? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to one of his mentees, one of the people that he has been pouring into, investing in, discipling, praying for, all the things we just talked about on the previous screen. And it says this, Paul is saying to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as in my ancestors. Group project. With a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, I'm invested, whether I'm physically with you or not. And as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may f- be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Group project. Timothy won't be a pastor without Lois and Eunice and Paul. He won't. Group project. Group project. For this reason, I I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We love to quote verse 7. And I'm not saying it's bad that we do. It is good that we do. But do we understand the full breadth of what is highlighted here in yellow in verse 7? We have not been given a spirit of fear. Paul could have picked any word there to really represent the thing that wants to stand against God. He chose fear. It's outlined more as you continue to read the book. But this is not accidental, friends. Because the thing that will stand the most, the thing that saint will use the most to keep you in the way of inheriting what God has already said is going to be yours is this F word. Fear. It will strangle you slowly and quietly if you let it. It will bludgeon you to when you never see it coming. It will outright kill you if you let it. Fear. But we've been given a spirit of power and love and self-control. Love and self-control are fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. So we're not going to have love and self-control unless we have a higher spirit, a more powerful spirit, the only name with which we should worship and follow, residing in and with and for and around us. That is how, fear is how fear is driven out. But what about power? Power is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. It would be sweet if it was, but it's not. Because all power, all glory, all majesty, as it says in the end of the book of Jude, resides where? In his hands. So who has the power to take out fear? Him. Jesus. Yahweh. Father. Holy Spirit. Who has the power to take care of what nothing else can take care of, Jesus. You cannot logic or critical think your way out of fear. It'll help you realize its ramifications, but it does nothing to make it go away. You can see all the counseling and therapy you want and that you could afford, and we pray that you do, that is good and right and healthy, that is going to help you realize the ramifications and the sources of your fear, but it does nothing to take it away. Only one under heaven, in heaven, and on earth has the power to take fear and say, be gone. Only one. We commonly refer to it here All Souls as healing and deliverance. But quite honestly, call it whatever you want. I personally don't care. Call it whatever you want. But hear me, please. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Take the opportunities that God has put in front of you to meet with Jesus. Not just the idea of Jesus or the words about Jesus, but Jesus himself. Ask him to show up. Ask him to draw near, and watch what happens when you are willing to surrender fear, which is in itself an afraid act. (laughs) But watch what happens to fear when you are willing to say, I will not be a slave to you anymore. I will not be a slave to you anymore. I will not let you fear and wherever you have come from. Be the thing that stands in the way from getting what God has already said is mine. Friends, sometimes we can do that on our own, and those moments are glorious. Quite often, here's what I've learned in the school of hard knocks, somebody else needs to be there. Somebody else needs to be there. Not just him, but him's and hers. Somebody else quite often sometimes needs to be the conduit for which the Holy Spirit and Jesus can work through to open our eyes to the darkness that plagues us and to help us realize how we have been stabbed, tortured, and chained by this thing we call fear. Joshua 1 had this moment where they could have given into fear, both Joshua and those two-and-a-half tribes, but by God's grace, they don't. They don't. And in three days' time, we haven't read it today, but mark your, mark your memory for it, in three days' time, they will step into that land. They will step into that land, and they will start to fight, not just for dirt on the ground, but for each other. And for what God has called them to. Friends, will we fight? Will we fight for each other? For those of us who have been following Jesus longer than others, this call is doubly important for you. For those of us who can be considered spiritually mature, not finished products by any means, shape, or form. But we know Jesus enough to know when he is speaking to us and when he is calling us, this call is doubly for you. Because for those to arrive at the place that Jesus is calling them to, they need someone who has gone ahead of them. The part about Joshua's story that sometimes we forget is that Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting. And all you have to do is read back through the Old Testament to realize somebody else was always there too. Joshua. He learned at the hands and feet of his God and of his mentor. The one who was ahead of him in faith brought him along so that when it came time for him to take place, he was ready he was ready. You have to understand and believe that as God told Joshua in the book, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, I will be with you, that's not even close to the first time he's heard that. Because God has been telling that over and over and over again to Moses. And Joshua is there to witness it all. Then Joshua is there to see his God work for his people through Moses. And now he is there. It is now his turn to take up the plate. Friends, it is now our turn to take up the plates. It's our turn to take up the plates. Friends, if you think for whatever definition you want to follow that you might fall under the spiritually immature category, you are not alone. You're not. That's why we did an announcement with three videos about all soul kids, soul youth, and disciple groups. You're not alone. You're never going to be alone. First and foremost, because he has said he will be with you. The second, because we take seriously this idea that we need to fight for each other. All souls, will you fight for each other? And if in your heart and soul there is a hesitation, there is a fear, let that be your siren call this morning. That God is calling you to that thing that we have been talking about. And something wants to stand in the way. In Jesus' name, don't let it stand in the way. In Jesus' name, don't let it stand in the way. Let's pray, church. Excuse me. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for the long-standing testimony of what you have done for your people through your people. We thank you, Lord, that you and you alone possess the power to drive out fear, to drive out sin where it so often is its source, to drive out Satan, the one who so often wants to wield it against us. We thank you, Lord, that neither hell, no darkness, nor evil, nor anything in between, and all that it can concoct can stop us when we call for your name. Thank you for the story in Joshua 1 where these people had an opportunity. These two and a half tribes had an opportunity to run, to give in to fear, and they simply did not. They took their oath seriously. They trusted in you, God. And they were ready to march forth. And they were ready to put their lives, their families, their possessions on the line that those who were not them would receive what God had planned for them. God, thank you for that beautiful example. Thank you for that example that culminates even what you did for us, Jesus. That greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friend. (coughs) Jesus, in the laying down of our lives, would we bear our arms? And would we wield the gifts you have given us? Would we wage war until our sorrows cease? Guided by you, O majestic Prince of Peace. Jesus, this day, come and speak to us. Come and tug at our heartstrings, Holy Spirit. Come banish fear in Jesus' name. Come reveal to us, open the eyes of our hearts that we would know, Jesus, that we are being fought for and we are being called to fight alongside of those in our lives who need to know you for the first time who need to know you for the hundredth time, who want to know you more and more. Jesus, come and do in and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. Come show us the holy goodness of a group project. In your name, Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen.